What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Stuart Douglas. It's a not mainstream podcast. Turned a big page with the podcast. It's back-to-back weeks now. Doing big things. I said last week that I want to commit to doing more of these. You know, I have a big interest in sports radio and building up my talking prowess, I guess you could say. And one of the things that I wasn't doing with any of the podcasts I've ever done was consistency. And now I think I've turned a page. I really started to commit to it and really try to make this a long-term thing. You know, it's easy to make these podcasts. You get some short-term highs, you get some interest, and then you kind of forget about it for a couple weeks. And it's not easy week to week. Honestly, (laughs) you try and sit there for one podcast trying to think about what can I really say right now? So I have a lot of respect for guys who do day-to-day radio shows or, uh, you know, five days a week, whatever it is. It takes a lot. It's, it's not easy. And it makes me appreciate my favorite radio show, Dan Levitar's show. They do just do amazing work on a week-to-week basis. I don't know how they do it. Uh, I mean, I guess you do it for so many years, you get into a rhythm, but still, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot. And I appreciate it. I've, I've started to grow... I've grown to appreciate it more and more as I do it, but I'm excited and I hope you're excited as well. I know my mom's excited. Nancy, I love you. Thanks for listening. So let's get into it. Holy hell, Michigan is good at basketball. I really didn't know what to expect with this team, but but they are damn good. Defensively, I mean, they're just amazing. They're finally giving the Michigan football fans something to forget about. Forget about all their pain with football. Makes it real easy when the basketball team is good. And and the football team comes up short this past few years. Uh, So, I mean, basketball has given the Michigan fan base a lot of life, which they have to appreciate. And I think it it really adds to the experience of of Michigan basketball for for the fans. My buddy was asking me, Nick, about Yaklich or Yaklich. I'm not really sure how you say his name. The assistant coach who has been getting all the credit and runs the Michigan defense. And their defense has been amazing. They just held UNC to 67. I think they were average, they were averaging well over 90 in the mid-90s. And, you know, they shut that team down. My buddy asked me, if I ever had any like what ifs about working with a coach like that. And not really because it's different in basketball. You know, you have the, the, what's his name? Coach Brown, I think for the defensive coordinator for Michigan. And it's a little for Michigan football. It's a little different between football and basketball. And you don't hear too many times where, a team is good on defense in basketball and like one assistant coach gets a credit. You know, you're only, you have, we had defensive coordinators essentially like in practice guys who ran the defense um, and Beeline kind of focused on the offense, but it wasn't, it's not quite that same setup. And I don't say, you know, I don't have any what if feelings or missing out, even though he's a great coach from what I understand. But Bakari and Laval, and during my time, were, to me, outstanding defensive coaches. And, and I learned 
so much on the defensive end with principles and just how to watch the game. I've, I've never watched a game the same since then. And, you know, the way you break down everything is the key. And I don't know what, what Jagwich's style is like. I, I He asked me that question. I was like, well, I have to really experience. I have to be coached by him to get a full sense of what exactly he's doing. Because Beeline's not like a defensive slouch. I mean, Beeline gets talked about because of his offense, which makes perfect sense. But Beeline knows what he's doing on defense. So I don't know exactly what Michigan is doing differently. But they have bought in. Like, these guys have definitely bought in. And the other part of the question that Nick asked me was, is it just about that? Is it just about guys buying in? Or is it the coach? Well, it's a little bit of both. But these guys have... 100% bought in. I mean, it shows, obviously. The results speak for themselves. But they do they do have some... They have a different makeup defensively than the teams uh, during my time. One is 7-1 center in the middle, Teske. I mean, that just makes a world of difference. Nothing against Jordan Morgan or John Horford or whatever, but... It's hard to teach 7-1 and protect the paint. Like, uh, uh, J-Mo did a fantastic job defensively for us. But, you know, he wasn't blocking whatever test he's doing. Two and a half shots a game in 24 minutes that he's averaging. I mean, it, it, that's just something that is rare. It's been very rare in Beeline's system, in Beeline's programs. But I think you've seen the importance of, um, I don't even know if he really went after tall guys like that. But he understands the importance of defense, especially in the Big Ten, where it's a little slower. And you guys, and they run a bunch of, I mean, the five man's just setting screens and a lot of ball screens and rolling. And what, who better to do that than a 7 1 guy? Yeah, he likes, you know, the fives always get talked up, but can they shoot? Blah, 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 blah. But. He doesn't, they don't have to. In that system, you don't have to be able to shoot. It's just a luxury, and it's a luxury. It used to be more of a luxury when fives weren't used to guarding those types of guys. But now, you know, you got fives that can shoot on, on all levels. It's not quite the the unique thing that it used to be. But 7-1 is unique in college basketball. And defensively, for sure. But to me... You know, defensive principles, from what I've seen from coach to coach, yeah, they can change. They're mostly the same. Some guys get the small details wrong. I'm sure Michigan, the whole staff, they get all the details right. I mean, they have since since the day, the first day I stepped on campus. I mean, I didn't really disagree with too many things. They were open to our suggestions, but I they, they knew exactly what they were doing since day one. So they, they know how to... They know all the little details of defense, but you have guys like who starts it with Xavier and Charles Matthews. And Matthews is experienced, athletic, gets after it. You have Teske in the middle. But to me, Xavier sets the tone. And and defensively, you can set the point guard can really set a tone. And that was the difference between our teams. Our teams had offensive point guards and you know my first year we had cj lee and david merritt and they would they would d up cj was a you know 
predominantly defensive guy. That's what he prided himself on. And that helped our team so much. That was easily one of the biggest reasons we made it to the tournament that year. But Xavier, his importance, I don't think it goes unnoticed, but you know, if he has like six points in a game, like, oh yeah, Xavier played pretty well. No, Xavier played fantastic. And he's so athletic, he's so strong, and he's so he seems very willed. Like very strong willed on the defensive end. And that you know, I always appreciate that. We didn't quite have the guys to play a defense like this. Again, center in the middle. And our scorers were, you know, wing guy, but in my last two years were, or my last year specifically is what I always come back to because that was the year that I think we should have gone the farthest in the tournament. But Trey was on the, on just an offensive mind, a point guard, and he was young, very young. He didn't quite know how to play defense yet. And we didn't have the time to really make him accountable on defense. There was times, there was a couple of clips that we watched, and I'll never forget them. I think I remember specifically the one play that I did it, but Zach did it once, and I think I did it once. We're playing defense, and the ball's being rotated around, and we literally, literally take our hands, put them on Trey, and push him towards the rotation because he's the closest man, and that's his rotation. He needs, he needs to pick it up. But he wasn't quite, and it was early on in the season. I mean, we had our problems all year with that, but we didn't have time to stop and, and really teach him, sit him down on the bench if he wasn't going to make those rotations or whatever. We gave him the ball. like He had the ball in his hands the entire time and carried us offensively for so many, took so many wins. So, you know, it was funny, after the season, uh, we, we lost that first game in the tournament to Ohio. And Mrs. Beeline comes up to me and she's like, it must be, it must be a, uh, a relief with, you know, all the responsibility that you and Zach had to take during the year. And I don't know what she knew specifically. And, and I was like, wow, nobody's nobody ever acknowledged that. And, and I didn't quite acknowledge it myself because it was tough. And, you know, it's never going to be easy. But it, it was tough to play, to, to see how, to play with, you know, the way my mind worked defensively. And that was my focus was defense. And that's how I'd stay on the court. And that was why Beeline played me. And... To have my mind always working like that and to have, you know, young guys like Tim and Trey and we're having to learn on the fly and just go and things aren't going right and you see it in games but in the film after games, you see it in practice, but you don't have, like I said, you don't have the time to just stop and make those guys accountable because you need them so much offensively. Yeah, it was. It was a, it was a lot to carry on our shoulders as seniors. I mean, I'm not complaining. Listen, I loved Tim and Trey offensively. I mean, they, they won us so many games. There's no doubt about that on the offensive end. And, you know, they had their moments on defense too. They both got better as they, as their careers went on. That's for sure. But yeah, it was, uh, I, I've always appreciated Mrs. B for that. Um, and I don't know if she knows that, but that, that amounts a lot, a lot to me at the time. 
and it was funny to see. You know, it kind of made sense. She's been in it. She was in it for. She's been in it for a long time, and she's observed so many players, so many programs, so many games. Um, so she she totally gets it and with the outside perspective that you sometimes need. Um, she was a perfect person to deliver it, but yeah, again, these players have bought in, and I, I wanted to go to an Iggy quote. I don't have the quote, but he was basically asked about defense, and I think he mentioned Xavier and Charles, um, who were holding guys accountable. I don't know if he mentioned Jordan Poole, but Jordan's a good defender. Anyways, Iggy's the one, because he, he's going to carry such a load offensively, you know, how is his defense going to hold up? And he's going to play a lot of minutes. He's going to get a lot of shots. You know, he's a freshman by label. He's older. I think that helps him. But he seems to have completely bought in. His mindset, I mean, interviews are interviews. You can, you can answer questions. Um, you can lie your ass off in those interviews. But when he said that those guys in practice are making him accountable and they're holding him accountable, yeah, that's, that's great from the leadership perspective of, of guys holding each other accountable. But you have to accept that. And Iggy, it's easy. I think it'd be easy now for him to get a big head because of how well he's playing offensively. And to me, I mean, at this rate, he's gone. He's, he's gone to the NBA. Um, so it was, it was cool to see that quote and see that, you know, the one guy that I maybe had to be like a question mark about is completely bought in and I really need to start watching more games. I don't know what time the game is Saturday, but oh well, tomorrow when this podcast comes out, but now they've piqued my interest. I'll stay up and watch them, but yeah, they, they've been They've been a lot of fun to see defensively. It's, it is, I do love the NBA game way more than college. Like there's no doubt about that, but it is refreshing to see um, my mindset of defense and and especially specifically tailored to college defense where the court is smaller. You can pack the paint in way more. The rules are different, more advantageous for the defense. So it is fun to see those that thrive like a defense thrive but it's you know it's the same concept for off i just like to watch good basketball like talent and defense a lot of times you know effort and focus and buying in as a part of it but there's a major talent to being good on defense and there's a major talent to timing up blocking shots i mean yeah you can be seven one but you still have to time things and not foul it's very detailed there's way more detail on defense to me than there is on offense. But again, that comes back to my bias of being having that college defensive mindset. But this team is going to be fun to watch. I'm excited to watch them in the Big Ten uh, in the Big Ten season. Somebody asked me how many games I think Michigan can win in a row. Can they get to the number one spot? I don't think so. I don't think they get to the number one spot just because it's going to be so ridiculous to get to the number one spot. I mean, unless Gonzaga loses, Duke, I don't know. There's a lot of really, really good teams at the top. And I think Michigan belongs up there, but just the way the schedule is set up for the next so few games, I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna be hard to get to. They're gonna have to kind of run the table for a little bit. Um, 
you know, last last podcast I said I didn't think Duke was going to lose, and they lost immediately, uh, even before I released the podcast. Like it, it was a tape delay, I got a little screwed by that one. But don't I don't don't overlook Purdue tomorrow. They have a very solid team. Uh, Edwards is a big time talent, and, and a guy like that who's given the ball and his offense is going to sway the game one way or the other. The only the advantage that Michigan has there is Xavier is just going to be hounding him the entire game and making his life ridiculous. But Edwards is very talented. And I'm not going to go as far as to say that Edwards can't score on Xavier. I, I think he can. Um, I don't know. It could just be a random day where Edwards has a good day or a random day where Xavier locks him up and, and just makes his life hell and completely shuts him down and Purdue scores like not even 50 points. It's a possibility. You know, with, with this Michigan team, you don't know, you don't know how many points the other teams are going to score. Like it could be just a complete slaughter. Um, and, but the advantage that Michigan has is that Purdue is so heavy at the top and you shut down Edwards or you make his life hell and Klein who Let's go Greyhounds from my alma mater, Carmel High School. If you don't give him the threes that he's just been absolutely stroking, I mean, those two guys, you, you, you take them out. You force other guys who, during this early part of the season, haven't had to play with the ball in their hands, haven't had to shoot, they haven't been relied on offensively. So... That was always the big thing in college. There's always going to be weak links in college. And this is part of why the defense is so good in college, okay? Because it's much easier to target certain guys on an opposing team. And you just cut them off. I always come back to when we played Penn State and Taylor Battle. Taylor Battle was an absolute nuisance to play against. But we would just trap every ball screen that he used. And make him, we called it cutting off the head of the snake. We were gonna. St- our big was gonna stay with the ball screen until he gave it up, and then once he gave it up, when I was guarding him, I just denied him the entire time. Didn't matter where he was. He could have been 40 feet from the basket. I was just denying. Him. We're just gonna make the other team play four on four. Someone else is gonna have to create, do something else, and it makes life so much easier when those other four guys are not nearly as efficient offensively. So I expect a bit of the same strategy tomorrow against Purdue with Edwards, but. We, will, we shall see. I'll come back next week and give my analysis on that. Quick update on Israeli basketball. We've won two in a row now. Things are looking up. We had to cut two guys recently. We added two guys. Uh, we're still going to add another one. Uh, one of the guys we added was uh, Israeli-American. So we can we have three foreigners right now. Three guys that count as foreigners, and we play with four, so we're going to add one here soon. Don't know who. The rumor mill is hilarious in Israel. The, the world of Israel is, is a very small country, and, and the basketball world is one of the smallest basketball worlds I've ever been a part of. Everyone's everyone knows everyone's business. Everyone knows all the rumors. Everyone talks to everyone. Um, you know, it doesn't take much for 
a rumor to make its way through the entire basketball community. But who knows? Well, uh, you know, we've been kind of waiting on pins and needles for that for that update. But you know, it's we're on a roll right now, and it's always a stressful time when the team feels good, and then you want to add a new player, and you're just praying that the guy isn't an asshole and comes and disrupts anything in the locker room and you know wants to buy in to what we're what we have right now because before you know if we were losing oh, it's like six straight yeah okay fine bring anybody in doesn't really matter you don't have to buy in like we need something new we need to change the pace and i hate to see the guys go that went i, I love those guys they're great teammates but when that happens all right fine i get it when you're winning and you bring somebody in which is a rare situation sometimes injuries happen sometimes you just want to add a new guy uh, for depth it's a it's it's a bit tricky and I'm I'm a, you know not worried but uh, just to say very cautious I get very cautious when 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 you add these new guys and it's uh, you know it's a struggle year to year these guys maybe you had a guy who's been out of basketball for a little bit obviously you know he could have been cut from his last team so he's got a chip on his shoulder wants to come in and prove something it and you have these year-to-year contracts it makes things very tricky guys feel a lot of pressure a lot of pressure you live year to year you can live like month to month basically depending on what team you're on what kind of pressure you're under from the start of the season and, and americans in this league have a bunch of pressure to produce all the time they can be producing you know scoring a bunch of points you, you're losing boom you're out you're, you're done doesn't matter so you have to win and produce it's not an easy life but the most important update is this news that i got that and if anybody followed me last year we we went on strike in israel the israeli players did there's a thing called the russian rule in israel and it exists i think maybe in romania okay but every other league has gotten rid of it over the years israel has has kept it well they brought it back uh, like eight years ago or something like that five years ago in a, in, a, in a different strike. But the Russian rule states that two Israeli players must be on the court at all times. Now, the reason the Israeli players want it is because Americans, Americans specifically, and this is why Americans are the majority of foreigners in this, in this league and not Europeans, Americans don't get taxed. Their salaries, their cars, their apartment does not get taxed. Israelis get taxed basically double. So whatever you make in salary, whatever you make, whatever your car costs and your apartment costs, the team pays for it. They pay that amount basically in tax. So they cost a lot, a lot of money. Israelis do. And this puts them at a disadvantage. Because you can bring in, if this Russian rule gets dismantled and and the import restriction gets raised to six instead of four, then you're going to see two extra roster spots added that can be cheaper Americans, but with more talent. So it kind of puts the, the market, it changes the, the market and the value of players It'll change it drastically, and everyone's calling. Everyone called the Israeli players lazy. The 
it was a like a big smear campaign and it worked. Uh, you saw sports um, analysts, you saw fans, newspaper articles talking about just literally almost reiterating verbatim what what the league and specifically kind of what the best team here, Maccabi, what they were pushing for, saying like, yeah, we want six imports in each team, no Russian law. And, you know, if the Israelis don't want it, it's because they're lazy. They don't want to work hard. And people have been reiterating that over and over and over again. And now there's a committee that's gonna, that's been meeting, is going to continue to meet, and they have, there's apparently going to be a decision here pretty soon saying they're going to keep the less, they're going to lessen the Russian rules. So you have to have only one Israeli on the court at all times, but they're going to increase the imports to six players. But naturalized citizens like myself with an Israeli passport are going to count as imports. If you played on an Israeli national team, doesn't matter if it's U18 or the men's national team, just something that was a part of the Israeli International Basketball Association or whatever that acronym is. If you played on on any of those, then then you're fine. Then you count as as a true Israeli. That's in heavy quotes. So under this rule, I would count as an import. And that would be a big problem for me. But it's, I can't see it holding up because labor laws here and, you know, how do you separate citizenship between guys that make, that guys that come from America? You know, it's a very tricky situation and there'll be more updates on this, the more information I get. I don't quite know what the law is. Exactly, but I'm finding that out more and more. But, you know, it's funny to initially think about because when, when you come over here in what you call, what they call making Aliyah, you, you know, to return to the Holy Land, essentially, rough translation. You make Aliyah, you get your Israeli citizenship and, you know, it's a full process and, you know, it's made, you get some tax breaks early on, you get access to certain programs and help. You know, Israel wants Jews to come back to Israel. And the country is not old. Like, there are people here, the people that are making these rules are saying that, 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 we're going to be that I wouldn't count as an import or that would that I would count as an import that I would not count an Israeli just because I made Aliyah. Those people making those rules come from maybe one or two generations of people who made Aliyah to this country. So you're kind of telling it's just kind of bizarre. And I don't know. It seems very close minded and it's frustrating to even think about that 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 would be a suggestion because all this is kind of part of this committee met to come up with solutions for developing the Israeli players, right? How is this going to help the Israelis while still increasing the imports? And the number one thing was increasing the imports. They want more imports. They want more Americans here essentially because they want to raise the level of basketball and specifically 
Maccabi wants to be able to play six Americans or six foreigners during a game. Because right now they have, um, I think, more than six foreigners on their roster, but they can only dress four for each Israeli game. And they've lost championships in the Israeli league over the last, oh, God, I don't know, 10 years or something. But before that, they were just completely dominant of the league. And, you know, when... <laughs> Once you start losing, it's it's not your fault. You know, it's the rule. Some rules that can be changed or outside extenuating circumstances, whatever. But they want it changed, and Maccabi is the most powerful here, and most powerful club here, and you know, it just seems to be them getting their way all the time. And that's a bit of a cliche when you have, you know, it's easy to kind of point the finger there, but. It's been it's been very interesting to watch for this past five six years, just to see that how teams are viewed outside of Maccabi. But yeah, there's a there's a lot still to be updated on that. There's a lot of information to delve into with that. But your boy, your boy might be uh, might be SOL. But you know, I, I can't really see that happening. That that just it seems ridiculous to restrict citizens in that way just because they were born in a different country or don't fit some type of profile that you want. I don't know. We'll see. It's uh, it's going to be very interesting. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I need it to speed up. But, you know, these things take, take a while. And these decisions were supposed to come down three months ago, I think. And still been waiting on them. But TBD. All right, let's go finish this up with some Twitter questions. We got about one, two, three, five or six. Got some pretty good ones. Okay, what are the best and worst part worst parts of being overseas? Best part is the lifestyle. You know, practice once or twice a day, and then you have all the time in the world. That's why I'm doing podcasts because I have all the time in the world, and it's it's easy to be a, a drone on your phone and fill the time. Honestly, it gets embarrassing how easy that is. And I've just been checking my settings to see my screen time. And it probably needs a little little cutting. Probably need to pick up some more books. But that lifestyle fits me perfectly. So I'm not complaining too much. But you have to maximize it or else you just kind of get into like a, a weird lull that, it, you know, it's really hard to explain. But it's like this foggy, this fogginess where you're like, what, you're like, what day is it? Like, it's, it's December? Like, it's almost December. Like, what the hell is going on? And so there, there, there are pros and cons to that lifestyle, but overall, I like it. The worst part is missing my family. And I add into this because I'm not like a great caller or FaceTimer communicator. And, you know, I miss my friends and my family dearly, and I don't talk to them enough. And, you know, I've always cherished all my, my friendships since high school and my family time. So that, that's always tough. And, you know, around the holidays, you get used to it. I mean, I'm not sitting here crying during Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever. But, yeah, you know, it, it's hard to see when my brother flies it back into Indiana from Denver. And, you know, my sister just moved back to Indiana. Like, just moved back in August when I left. So, you know, I'm missing that time and with, with her daughter, my niece. So... It's not always easy to miss those moments, but 
you know, after so many years, you get a little numb to it. What is your favorite Big Ten arena to play in? I've answered this before, but I have my definitive list. IU and Purdue were always my favorite arenas, but that also had to do with the atmosphere and my friends going to each one of those schools and knowing a bunch of people that went there and were cheering against me. That always made a lot of fun, and family was always there. That always made it so much fun. The only thing that would have been better is if I could have stayed overnight and partied after the games, but you know, sure as hell, that's not happening in college. Those are easily the two, but that also had to do with atmosphere. Arena alone, Maryland has always been my sleeper. And we played there, I don't remember, some ACC Big Ten challenge before Maryland came to the Big Ten. Cruz Vasquez was a stud. But we went there and their crowd was just absurd. They had this like, this one side behind a basket, okay, it was next to our bench. And it was like it looked like a wall. Like it was like it went the most it was like the most vertical seating I had ever seen in an arena. And it was a little odd. You could sit there at the free throw line and it was it just looked like this massive wall of people. It didn't have, you know, you know, you could it was like almost you couldn't even see like the concession area because it was like so high in your point of view, you're just looking at the basket and it was like all you saw were students and they were loud as hell. They packed the place. That place was a lot of fun. I think they kicked our ass that game. But that arena was really cool. One that could be really cool, but because the atmosphere wasn't that great when I played there, was Iowa. I really liked the style of the Iowa gym. It reminded me so much of Newcastle High School in Indiana, which is the largest high school basketball gym in the entire world. And it has this bowl it's just a big bowl, basically. And Iowa's was, I mean, completely similar, but you know, without all the bleacher seating. But I thought that place was really cool. I thought the, the court was cool. The rims, the goals, just kind of, I was, it felt kind of like a bit of a stage, but the atmospheres were never all that great. Iowa was never that great when we played them. And I don't know. Iowa, the Iowa packs it for the football games. It's more, it's a football school, but you know that if that atmosphere picked up, a lot kind of like a Maryland, although that's hard. That couldn't really match that. But that arena was uh, one of my one is could be is one of my sleepers. Put it that way. Most overrated is Minnesota, but I'm coming from Indianapolis bias. To me, it's just a poor man's Hinkle Fieldhouse. Hinkle Butler University is the originator. And I don't, actually, I don't know which one's older at the barn. Minnesota could be older. I have no idea. But to me, you know, obviously in my basketball career, Minnesota came after me playing at Butler. So, uh, and watching all the games at Butler and, and loving those Butler teams growing up. So it's just a poor man's hinkle. It's got the elevated court, which I don't know. It's cool. It's overrated. It's so damn annoying just to get up from the bench and climb stairs. Hop back down. I swear to God, you could, you could. I know somebody's rolled an ankle hopping down after coming out of the game, hopping down to the bench. It's it had to have happened. There's no way it hasn't. And then they would do like this thing. People would, they, I think they show on the Big Ten Network. I, I think we did it, or some team did it. Maybe it was Crazy Crane throwing the ball and like everyone had to dive for a ball. 
that they threw like in shoot around and you had to dive off the court and land down below but save the ball at the same time some coach did that for like every player it was like oh so you can get used to the court like what the hell are you talking about you're just trying to kill your guys you're trying to do some hoorah shit and it's gonna hurt your players i don't know that that stuff was annoying as hell how many points would you beat kyle binder by in a game of one-on-one binder i'm sorry but i'm 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 locking you up. If you put some money on the game, oh yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna lock you up. Although, I was surprised by by his jumper, so maybe maybe he'll get one. Last question: Recruiting stories. Kyle Binder asks, craziest recruiting story you've heard regarding payment, gifts, etc. Don't have to name names or schools, but if you did, those pod numbers going up. Ask Stu a Q. You're welcome for the hashtag. Yes, I'm gonna keep using that now for, for the podcast when I when I ask for Twitter questions. That is genius, and I'm actually more ashamed that I just didn't think of it myself. But not regarding a payment or a gift. I'll make that very clear. My favorite, just all around recruiting story, involves Tom Crean and an in-home visit. I don't have the balls to say that right now, but it is my favorite story, and maybe one day I will tell it. Because it is, it just it brings a smile to my face. It is absolutely hilarious, and needs to be shared. But it's, it's very delicate. But my favorite story regarding a payment or a gift um, was a guy I played with overseas. He w- was at a biggie school, um, and I think it was after his freshman or sophomore year. He was flirting with the idea of transferring. And I don't even know if he asked for like a release to talk to coaches, but but coaches were talking to him, big time schools were talking to him, and he was seriously considering it. So I don't know if there's multiple offers, but one school offered him fifteen thousand to transfer. And he accepted. He took the money and Boom. Okay, he was going to transfer. Well, he ended up not taking, not transferring, and he just kept the money and stayed at stayed at his school. And I don't know what what the change of heart was. I never really asked him, but I thought that was one of the most brilliant moves, brilliant like thefts I've ever seen in my entire life. What's that coach going to do? Ask for the money back? Go go public? This guy stole my money? No, it's brilliant. And honestly, I'm surprised I never heard of that before. Or guys haven't thought about that more. Because that's a lot of money you can just take away from from a school, from a coach. Because he's an idiot and he played himself. And that's still one of my favorites. And that'll always be my favorite. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just, that's a savvy veteran move. I don't, I don't recommend it, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll praise you if you do it. Alright, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. As always... Questions, comments, concerns, critiques, I'm always open. Tweet at me. Share this if you are willing. Uh, I'm hoping to get more guests on. It's been hectic past few weeks, so I'm just glad that I've gotten a podcast episode out there. But I will get some some guests on. I'm trying to get Jordan Morgan back. Some other players from other teams. I'm trying to get Will Sheehy from IU. You know, any guy, and I mean, anybody, Jordan Taylor from Wisconsin, he, he kind of, he offered up his, his time, and that would be awesome. So, 
Hoping to do a lot more of these. Hoping to have a lot more guests and talk about some interesting things. But appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Till next time.